Question 162 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Temperance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Temperance, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 162. Of Pride, in Eight Articles. We must now consider pride, and 1. Pride in general. 2. The first man's sin, which we hold to have been pride. Under the first head, there are eight points of inquiry. First, whether pride is a sin. Second, whether it is a special vice. Third, wherein does it reside as in its subject? Fourth, of its species. Fifth, whether it is a mortal sin. Sixth, whether it is the most grievous of all sins. Seventh, of its relation to other sins. Eighth, whether it should be reckoned a capital vice. First article, whether pride is a sin. Objection one. It would seem that pride is not a sin. For no sin is the object of God's promise. For God's promises refer to what he will do, and he is not the author of sin. Now pride is numbered among the divine promises, for it is written in Isaiah 60 verse 15, I will make thee to be an everlasting pride, a joy unto generation and generation. Therefore, pride is not a sin. Objection to further. It is not a sin to wish to be like unto God, for every creature has a natural desire for this, and especially does this become the rational creature which is made to God's image and likeness. Now it is said in Prosper's book on sentences that pride is love of one's own excellence, whereby one is likened to God who is supremely excellent. Hence Augustine says in the Confessions 2.6, Pride imitates exaltedness, whereas thou alone art God exalted over all. Therefore, pride is not a sin. Objection 3. Further, a sin is opposed not only to a virtue, but also to a contrary vice, as the philosopher states in Ethics 2.8. But no vice is found to be opposed to pride. Therefore, pride is not a sin. On the contrary, it is written in Tobit 4.14, Never suffer pride to reign in thy mind or in thy words. I answer that pride, superbia, is so called because a man thereby aims higher, supra, than he is. 
Wherefore Isidore says in his Etymologies, 10, A man is said to be proud because he wishes to appear above, super, what he really is. For he who wishes to overstep beyond what he is, is proud. Now right reason requires that every man's will should tend to that which is proportionate to him. Therefore it is evident that pride denotes something opposed to right reason, and this shows it to have the character of sin, because according to Dionysius in On the Divine Names 4.4, the soul's evil is to be opposed to reason. Therefore it is evident that pride is a sin. Reply to Objection 1. Pride, superbia, may be understood in two ways. First, as overpassing, supergreditur, the rule of reason. And in this sense, we say that it is a sin. Secondly, it may simply denominate superabundance, in which sense any superabundant thing may be called pride, and it is thus that God promises pride as significant of superabundant good. Hence a gloss of Jerome on the same passage of Isaiah 61.6 says that there is a good and an evil pride, or a sinful pride which God resists, and a pride that denotes the glory which he bestows. It may also be replied that pride there signifies abundance of those things in which men may take pride. Reply to Objection 2. Reason has the direction of those things for which man has a natural appetite, so that if the appetite wander from the rule of reason, whether by excess or by default, it will be sinful, as is the case with the appetite for food which man desires naturally. Now pride is the appetite for excellence in excess of right reason. Wherefore Augustine says in On the City of God 14.13 that pride is the desire for inordinate exaltation. And hence it is that, as he asserts in On the City of God 14.13 and 19.12, pride imitates God inordinately, for it hath equality of fellowship under him, and wishes to usurp his dominion over our fellow creatures. Reply to Objection 3. Pride is directly opposed to the virtue of humility, which, in a way, is concerned about the same matter as magnanimity, as stated above in Question 161, Article 1, Third Reply. Hence, the vice opposed to pride by default is akin to the vice of pusillanimity, which is opposed by default to magnanimity. For just as it belongs to magnanimity to urge the mind to great things against despair, so it belongs to humility to withdraw the mind from the inordinate desire of great things against presumption. Now, Pusillanimity, if we take it for a deficiency in pursuing great things, 
is properly opposed to magnanimity by default. But if we take it for the mind's attachment to things beneath what is becoming to a man, it is opposed to humility by default, since each proceeds from a smallness of mind. In the same way, on the other hand, pride may be opposed by excess both to magnanimity and humility from different points of view. To humility, inasmuch as it scorns subjection, to magnanimity, inasmuch as it tends to great things inordinately. Since, however, pride implies a certain elation, it is more directly opposed to humility, even as pulsil animinity, which denotes littleness of soul intending towards great things, is more directly opposed to magnanimity. Second article, whether pride is a special sin. Objection 1. It would seem that pride is not a special sin. For Augustine says in On Nature and Grace 24 that you will find no sin that is not labeled pride. And Prosper says in his On the Contemplative Life 3.2 that Without pride, no sin is, or was, or ever will be possible. Therefore, pride is a general sin. Objection to, further, a gloss on Job 33.17, that he may withdraw man from wickedness, says that a man prides himself when he transgresses his commandments by sin. Now, according to Ambrose in On Paradise 8, every sin is a transgression of the divine law and a disobedience of the heavenly commandments. Therefore, every sin is pride. Objection 3 further, every special sin is opposed to a special virtue, but pride is opposed to all the virtues, for Gregory says in his commentary on Job 34.23, Pride is by no means content with the destruction of one virtue. It raises itself up against all the powers of the soul, and like an all-pervading and poisonous disease corrupts the whole body. And Isidore says in his etymologies that it is the downfall of all virtues. Therefore, pride is not a special sin. Objection for further, every special sin has a special matter. Now pride has a general matter, for Gregory says in his commentary on Job 34.23 that one man is proud of his gold, another of his eloquence. One is elated by mean and earthly things, another by sublime and heavenly virtues. Therefore, pride is not a special, but a general sin. On the contrary, Augustine says in On Nature and Grace 29, If he look into the question carefully, he will find that, according to God's law, Pride is a very different sin from other vices. 
Now the genus is not different from its species. Therefore, pride is not a general, but a special sin. I answer that, the sin of pride may be considered in two ways. First, with regard to its proper species, which it has under the aspect of its proper object. In this way pride is a special sin, because it has a special object, for it is inordinate desire of one's own excellence, as stated in Article 1, Second Reply. Secondly, it may be considered as having a certain influence towards other sins. In this way, it has somewhat of a generic character, inasmuch as all sins may arise from pride in two ways. First, directly, through other sins being directed to the end of pride, which is one's own excellence, to which may be directed anything that is inordinately desired. Secondly, indirectly and accidentally, as it were, that is, by removing an obstacle, since pride makes a man despise the divine law which hinders him from sinning, according to Jeremiah 2.20. Thou hast broken my yoke, thou hast burst my bands, and thou saidest, I will not serve. It must, however, be observed that this generic character of pride admits of the possibility of all vices arising from pride sometimes, but it does not imply that all vices originate from pride always. For though one may break the commandments of the law by any kind of sin, through contempt which pertains to pride, yet one does not always break the divine commandments through contempt, but sometimes through ignorance and sometimes through weakness. And for this reason Augustine says in On Nature and Grace 29 that Many things are done amiss which are not done through pride. Reply to Objection 1. These words are introduced by Augustine into his book, On Nature and Grace, not as being his own, but as those of someone with whom he is arguing. Hence he subsequently disproves the assertion and shows that not all sins are committed through pride. We might, however, reply that these authorities must be understood as referring to the outward effect of pride, namely, the breaking of the commandments, which applies to every sin, and not to the inward act of pride, namely, contempt of the commandment. For sin is committed not always through contempt, but sometimes through ignorance, sometimes through weakness, as stated above. Reply to Objection 2. A man may sometimes commit a sin effectively, but not affectively. Thus he who, in ignorance, slays his father, is a parricide effectively, but not affectively, since he did not intend it. Accordingly, he who breaks God's commandment is said to pride himself against God effectively always, but not always affectively. Reply to Objection 3. A sin may destroy a virtue in two ways. In one way, by direct contrariety to a virtue, and thus pride 
does not corrupt every virtue but only humility, even as every special sin destroys the special virtue opposed to it by acting counter thereto. In another way, a sin destroys a virtue by making ill use of that virtue, and thus pride destroys every virtue in so far as it finds an occasion of pride in every virtue, just as in everything else pertaining to excellence. Hence it does not follow that it is a general sin. Reply to Objection 4. Pride regards a special aspect in its object, which aspect may be found in various matters. For it is inordinate love of one's excellence, and excellence may be found in various things. Third article, whether the subject of pride is the irascible faculty. Objection 1. It would seem that the subject of pride is not the irascible faculty. For Gregory says in his commentary on Job 23.17, A swollen mind is an obstacle to truth, for the swelling shuts out the light. Now the knowledge of sin pertains not to the irascible, but to the rational faculty. Therefore, pride is not in the irascible. Objection to further, Gregory says in his commentary on Job 24.8 that the proud observe other people's conduct, not so as to set themselves beneath them with humility, but so as to set themselves above them with pride. Wherefore, it would seem that pride originates in undue observation. Now observation pertains not to the irascible, but to the rational faculty. Objection 3 further. Pride seeks preeminence, not only in sensible things, but also in spiritual and intelligible things, while it consists essentially in the contempt of God, according to Ecclesiasticus 10.14, the beginning of the pride of man is to fall off from God. Now the irascible, since it is part of the sensitive appetite, cannot extend to God and things intelligible. Therefore, pride cannot be in the irascible. Objection 4. Further, as stated in Prosper's Book of Sentences, sentence 294, pride is love of one's own excellence. But love is not in the irascible, but in the concupiscible. Therefore, pride is not in the irascible. On the contrary, Gregory, in his commentary on Job, 2.49, opposes pride to the gift of fear. Now fear belongs to the irascible. Therefore, pride is in the irascible. I answer that the subject of any virtue or vice is to be ascertained from its proper object. For the object of a habit or act cannot be other than the object of the power, which is the subject of both. 
Now the proper object of pride is something difficult. For pride is the desire of one's own excellence, as stated above in Articles 1 and 2. Wherefore pride must needs pertain in some way to the irascible faculty. Now the irascible may be taken in two ways. First, in a strict sense, and thus it is a part of the sensitive appetite, even as anger, strictly speaking, is a passion of the sensitive appetite. Secondly, the irascible may be taken in a broader sense, so as to belong also to the intellective appetite, to which also anger is sometimes ascribed. It is thus that we attribute anger to God and the angels, not as a passion, but as denoting the sentence of justice pronouncing judgment. Nevertheless, the irascible understood in this broad sense is not distinct from the concupiscible power, as stated above in the first part, question 59, article 4, as well as in the pars prima secundae, question 82, article 5, first and second replies. Consequently, if the difficult thing which is the object of pride were merely some sensible object whereto the sensitive appetite might tend, pride would have to be in the irascible which is part of the sensitive appetite. But since the difficult thing which pride has in view is common both to sensible and to spiritual things, we must needs say that the subject of pride is the irascible, not only strictly so called, as a part of the sensitive appetite, but also in its wider acceptation, as applicable to the intellective appetite. Wherefore pride is ascribed also to the demons. Reply to Objection 1. Knowledge of truth is twofold. One is purely speculative, and pride hinders this indirectly by removing its cause. For the proud man subjects not his intellect to God that he may receive the knowledge of truth from him, according to Matthew 11.25, Thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, that is, from the proud, who are wise and prudent in their own eyes, and hast revealed them to little ones, that is, to the humble. Nor does he deign to learn anything from man, whereas it is written in Ecclesiasticus 6.34, If thou wilt incline thy ear, thou shalt receive instruction. The other knowledge of truth is affective, and this is directly hindered by pride, because the proud, through delighting in their own excellence, disdain the excellence of truth. Thus Gregory says in his commentary on Job 23.17 that the proud, although certain hidden truths be conveyed to their understanding, cannot realize their sweetness, and if they know of them, they cannot relish them. Hence it is written in Proverbs 11.2, where humility is, there is also wisdom. Reply to Objection 2. As stated above in question 161, articles 2 and 6, 
Humility observes the rule of right reason whereby a man has true self-esteem. Now pride does not observe this rule of right reason, for he esteems himself greater than he is, and this is the outcome of an inordinate desire for his own excellence, since a man is ready to believe what he desires very much, the result being that his appetite is born towards things higher than what become him. Consequently, whatsoever things lead a man to inordinate self-esteem lead him to pride, and one of those is the observing of other people's failings, just as, on the other hand, in the words of Gregory, again in his commentary on Job 23.17, Holy men, by a like observation of other people's virtues, set others above themselves. Accordingly, the conclusion is not that pride is in the rational faculty, but that one of its causes is in the reason. Reply to Objection 3. Pride is in the irascible not only as a part of the sensitive appetite, but also as having a more general signification, as stated above. Reply to Objection 4. According to Augustine, in On the City of God, 14, 7 and 9, Love precedes all other emotions of the soul, and is their cause. Wherefore, it may be employed to denote any of the other emotions. It is in this sense that pride is said to be love of one's own excellence, inasmuch as love makes a man presume inordinately on his superiority over others, and this belongs properly to pride. Fourth article. Whether the four species of pride are fittingly assigned by Gregory? Objection 1. It seems that the four species of pride are unfittingly assigned by Gregory, who says in his commentary on Job 23.6, There are four marks by which every kind of pride of the arrogant betrays itself, either when they think that their good is from themselves, or if they believe it to be from above, yet they think that it is due to their own merits, or when they boast of having what they have not, or despise others and wish to appear the exclusive possessors of what they have, for pride is a vice distinct from unbelief, just as humility is a distinct virtue from faith. Now it pertains to unbelief, if a man deem that he has not received his good from God, or that he has the good of grace through his own merits. Therefore, this should not be reckoned a species of pride. Objection to further... The same thing should not be reckoned a species of different genera. Now boasting is reckoned a species of lying, as stated above in question 110, article 2, as well as question 112. Therefore, it should not be accounted a species of pride. Objection 3. Further, some other things apparently pretend to pride which are not mentioned here. For Jerome says that 
Nothing is so indicative of pride as to show oneself ungrateful. And Augustine says in On the City of God 14.14 that it belongs to pride to excuse oneself of a sin one has committed. Again, presumption whereby one aims at having what is above one would seem to have much to do with pride. Therefore, the aforesaid division does not sufficiently account for the different species of pride. Objection for further, we find other divisions of pride. For Anselm divides the uplifting of pride, saying that there is pride of will, pride of speech, and pride of deed. Bernard also reckons twelve degrees of pride, namely, curiosity, frivolity of mind, senseless mirth, boasting, singularity, arrogance, presumption, defense of one's sins, deceitful confession, rebelliousness, license, sinful habit. Now these apparently are not comprised under the species mentioned by Gregory. Therefore, the latter would seem to be assigned unfittingly. On the contrary, the authority of Gregory suffices. I answer that, as stated above in Articles 1, 2, and 3. Pride denotes immoderate desire of one's own excellence, a desire to wit that is not in accord with right reason. Now it must be observed that all excellence results from a good possessed. Such a good may be considered in three ways. First, in itself. For it is evident that the greater the good that one has, the greater the excellence that one derives from it. Hence, when a man ascribes to himself a good greater than what he has, it follows that his appetite tends to his own excellence in a measure exceeding his competency. And thus we have the third species of pride, namely, boasting of having what one has not. Secondly, it may be considered with regard to its cause, insofar as to have a thing of oneself is more excellent than to have it of another. Hence, when a man esteems the good he has received of another as though he had it of himself, the result is that his appetite is borne towards his own excellence immoderately. Now one is cause of one's own good in two ways, efficiently and meritoriously. And thus we have the first two species of pride, namely, when a man thinks he has from himself that which he has from God, or when he believes that that which he has received from above to be due to his own merits. Thirdly, it may be considered with regard to the manner of having it, insofar as a man obtains greater excellence through possessing some good more excellently than other men, the result again being that his appetite is borne inordinately towards his own excellence. And thus we have the fourth species of pride, which is, when a man despises others 
and wishes to be singularly conspicuous. Reply to Objection 1. A true judgment may be destroyed in two ways. First, universally, and thus in matters of faith, a true judgment is destroyed by unbelief. Secondly, in some particular matter of choice, and unbelief does not do this. Thus a man who commits fornication judges that for the time being it is good for him to commit fornication. Yet he is not an unbeliever, as he would be were he to say that universally fornication is good. It is thus in the question in point, for it pertains to unbelief to assert universally that there is a good which is not from God, or that grace is given to men for their merits, whereas, properly speaking, it belongs to pride and not to unbelief, through inordinate desire of one's own excellence, to boast of one's goods as though one had them of oneself, or of one's own merits. Reply to Objection 2. Boasting is reckoned a species of lying as regards the outward act whereby a man falsely ascribes to himself what he has not. But as regards the inward arrogance of the heart, it is reckoned by Gregory to be a species of pride. Reply to Objection 3. The ungrateful man ascribes to himself what he has from another, Wherefore, the first two species of pride pertain to ingratitude. To excuse oneself of a sin one has committed belongs to the third species, since by so doing a man ascribes to himself the good of innocence which he has not. To aim presumptuously at what is above one would seem to belong chiefly to the fourth species, which consists in wishing to be preferred to others. Reply to Objection 4. The three mentioned by Anselm correspond to the progress of any particular sin, for it begins by being conceived in thought, then it is uttered in word, and thirdly is accomplished in deed. The twelve degrees mentioned by Bernard are reckoned by way of opposition to the twelve degrees of humility, of which we have spoken above in question 161, article 6. For the first degree of humility is to be humble in heart and to show it in one's very person, one's eyes fixed on the ground. And to this is opposed curiosity which consists in looking around in all directions curiously and inordinately. The second degree of humility is to speak few and sensible words, and not to be loud of voice. To this is opposed frivolity of mind, by which a man is proud of speech. The third degree of humility is not to be easily moved and disposed to laughter, to which is opposed senseless mirth. The fourth degree of humility is to maintain silence until one is asked, to which is opposed boasting. 
The fifth degree of humility is to do nothing but to what one is exhorted by the common rule of the monastery, to which is opposed singularity, whereby a man wishes to seem more holy than others. The sixth degree of humility is to believe and acknowledge oneself viler than all, to which is opposed arrogance whereby a man sets himself above others. The seventh degree of humility is to think oneself worthless and unprofitable for all purposes, to which is opposed presumption, whereby a man thinks himself capable of things that are above him. The eighth degree of humility is to confess one's sins, to which is opposed defense of one's sins. The ninth degree is to embrace patience by obeying under difficult and contrary circumstances, to which is opposed deceitful confession, whereby a man, being unwilling to be punished for his sins, confesses them deceitfully. The tenth degree of humility is obedience which is opposed rebelliousness. The eleventh degree of humility is not to delight in fulfilling one's own desires. To this is opposed license, whereby a man delights in doing freely whatever he will. The last degree of humility is fear of God. To this is opposed the habit of sinning, which implies contempt of God. In these twelve degrees, not only are the species of pride indicated, but also certain things that precede and follow them, as we have stated above with regard to humility, in question 161, article 6. Fifth article, whether pride is a mortal sin. Objection 1. It would seem that pride is not a mortal sin. For a gloss on Psalm 7, verse 4, O Lord my God, if I have done this thing, says, namely, the universal sin which is pride. Therefore, if pride were a mortal sin, so would every sin be. Objection 2. Further, Every mortal sin is contrary to charity. But pride is apparently not contrary to charity, neither as to the love of God nor as to the love of one's neighbor, because the excellence by which pride one desires inordinately is not always opposed to God's honor or our neighbor's good. Therefore, pride is not a mortal sin. Objection 3. Further, every mortal sin is opposed to virtue. But pride is not opposed to virtue. On the contrary, it arises therefrom. For as Gregory says in his commentary on Job 34.23, sometimes a man is elated by sublime and heavenly virtues. Therefore, pride is not a mortal sin. On the contrary, Gregory says in his commentary on Job 34.23 that Pride 
is a most evident sign of the reprobate, and contrarywise, humility of the elect. But men do not become reprobate on account of venial sins. Therefore pride is not a venial, but a mortal sin. I answer that pride is opposed to humility. Now humility properly regards the subjection of man to God as stated above in question 161, article 1, fifth reply. Hence pride properly regards lack of this subjection insofar as a man raises himself above that which is appointed to him according to the divine rule or measure, against the saying of the Apostle in Second Corinthians 10.13. But we will not glory beyond our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath measured to us. Wherefore it is written in Ecclesiasticus 10.14, the beginning of the pride of man is to fall off from God, because to wit, the root of pride is found to consist in man not being, in some way, subject to God and his rule. Now it is evident that not to be subject to God is of its very nature a mortal sin, for this consists in turning away from God and consequently pride is, of its genus, a mortal sin. Nevertheless, just as in other sins which are mortal by their genus, for instance fornication and adultery, there are certain motions that are venial by reason of their imperfection, through forestalling the judgment of reason, and being without its consent. So too, in the matter of pride, it happens that certain motions of pride are venial sins when reason does not consent to them. Reply to Objection 1. As stated above in Article 2, pride is a general sin not by its essence but by a kind of influence, insofar as all sins may have their origin in pride. Hence it does not follow that all sins are mortal, but only such as arise from perfect pride, which we have stated to be a mortal sin. Reply to Objection 2. Pride is always contrary to the love of God, inasmuch as the proud man does not subject himself to the divine rule as he ought. Sometimes it is also contrary to the love of our neighbor, when, namely, a man sets himself inordinately above his neighbor. And this again is a transgression of the divine rule, which has established order among men, so that one ought to be subject to another. Reply to Objection 3. Pride arises from virtue not as from its direct cause, but as from an accidental cause, insofar as a man makes a virtue an occasion for pride, and nothing prevents one contrary from being the accidental cause of another, as stated in Physics 8.1. Hence, some are even proud of their humility. Sixth Article 
Whether Pride is the Most Grievous of Sins Objection 1. It would seem that pride is not the most grievous of sins. For the more difficult a sin is to avoid, the less grievous it would seem to be. Now pride is the most difficult to avoid, for Augustine says in his rule, Other sins find their vent in the accomplishment of evil deeds, whereas pride lies in wait for good deeds to destroy them. Therefore, pride is not the most grievous of sins. Objection to further, the greater evil is opposed to the greater good, as the philosopher asserts in Ethics 8.10. Now humility, to which pride is opposed, is not the greatest of virtues, as stated above in Question 61, Article 5. Therefore, the vices that are opposed to greater virtues, such as unbelief, despair, hatred of God, murder, and so forth, are more grievous sins than pride. Objection 3. Further, the greater evil is not punished by a lesser evil, but pride is sometimes punished by other sins, according to Romans one twenty-eight, where it is stated that on account of their pride of heart, men of science were delivered to a reprobate sense, to do those things which are not convenient. Therefore, pride is not the most grievous of sins. On the contrary, a gloss on Psalm 118, verse 51, the proud did iniquitously, says, the greatest sin in man is pride. I answer that. Two things are to be observed in sin. Conversion to a mutable good, and this is the material part of sin, and aversion from the immutable good, and this gives sin its formal aspect and complement. Now on the part of the conversion, there is no reason for pride being the greatest of sins, because uplifting, which pride covets inordinately, is not essentially most incompatible with the good of virtue. But on the part of the aversion, pride has extreme gravity, because in other sins man turns away from God either through ignorance or through weakness or through desire for any other good whatever whereas pride denotes aversion from God simply through being unwilling to be subject to God and his rule. Hence Boethius says that, While all vices flee from God, pride alone withstands God. For which reason it is specially stated in James 4.6 that, God resisteth the proud. Wherefore, aversion from God and his commandments, which is a consequence, as it were, in other sins, belongs to pride by its very nature, for its act is the contempt of God. And since that which belongs to a thing by its nature is always of greater weight than that which belongs to it through something else, it follows that pride is the most grievous of sins by its genus, because it exceeds in aversion 
which is the formal complement of sin. Reply to Objection 1. A sin is difficult to avoid in two ways. First, on account of the violence of its onslaught. Thus, anger is violent in its onslaught on account of its impetuosity. And, still more difficult is it to resist concupiscence on account of its connaturality, as stated in Ethics 2, 3 and 9. A difficulty of this kind in avoiding sin diminishes the gravity of the sin, because a man sins the more grievously according as he yields to a less impetuous temptation, as Augustine says in On the City of God 14, 12, and 15. Secondly, it is difficult to avoid a sin on account of its being hidden. In this way, it is difficult to avoid pride, since it takes occasion even from good deeds, as stated in Article 5, Third Reply. Hence Augustine says pointedly that it lies in wait for good deeds. And it is written in Psalm 141, verse 4, In the way wherein I walked, the proud have hidden a snare for me. Hence no very great gravity attaches to the movement of pride while creeping in secretly, and before it is discovered by the judgment of reason. But once discovered by reason, it is easily avoided both by considering one's own infirmity, according to Ecclesiasticus 10.9, why is earth and ashes proud, and by considering God's greatness, according to Job 15.13, why doth thy spirit swell against God? As well as by considering the imperfection of the goods on which man prides himself, according to Isaiah 40, verse 6. All flesh is grass, and the glory thereof as the flower of the field. And farther on, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, All our justices are become like the rag of a menstruous woman. Reply to Objection 2. Opposition between a vice and a virtue is inferred from the object, which is considered on the part of conversion. In this way, pride has no claim to be the greatest of sins, as neither has humility to be the greatest of virtues. But it is the greatest on the part of aversion, since it brings greatness upon other sins. For unbelief, by the very fact of its arising out of proud contempt, is rendered more grievous than if it be the outcome of ignorance or weakness. The same applies to despair and the like. Reply to Objection 3. Just as in syllogisms that lead to an impossible conclusion, one is sometimes convinced by being faced with a more evident absurdity, so too, in order to overcome their pride, God punishes certain men by allowing them to fall into sins of the flesh, which, though they be less grievous, are more evidently shameful. Hence, Isidore says in On the Supreme Good 2.38 that Pride is the worst of all vices, 
whether because it is appropriate to those who are of highest and foremost rank, or because it originates from just and virtuous deeds, so that its guilt is less perceptible. On the other hand, carnal lust is apparent to all, because from the outset it is of a shameful nature, and yet, under God's dispensation, it is less grievous than pride. For he who is in the clutches of pride and feels it not, falls into the lusts of the flesh, that being thus humbled he may rise from his abasement. From this, indeed, the gravity of pride is made manifest. For just as a wise physician in order to cure a worse disease, allows the patient to contract one that is less dangerous, so the sin of pride is shown to be more grievous by the very fact that, as a remedy, God allows men to fall into other sins. Seventh Article Whether Pride is the First Sin of All Objection 1 it would seem that pride is not the first sin of all, for the first is maintained in all that follows. Now pride does not accompany all sins, nor is it the origin of all, for Augustine says in On Nature and Grace 20 that many things are done amiss which are not done with pride. Therefore, pride is not the first sin of all. Objection to further it is written in Ecclesiasticus 10.14 that the beginning of pride is to fall off from God. Therefore, falling away from God precedes pride. Objection 3. Further, the order of sins would seem to be according to the order of virtues. Now, not humility, but faith is the first of all virtues. Therefore, Pride is not the first sin of all. Objection 4. Further, it is written in 2 Timothy 3.13, Evil men and seducers shall grow worse and worse, so that apparently man's beginning of wickedness is not the greatest of sins. But pride is the greatest of sins as stated in the foregoing article. Therefore, Pride is not the first sin. Objection 5. Further, resemblance and pretense come after the reality. Now the philosopher says in Ethics 3.7 that pride apes fortitude and daring. Therefore, the vice of daring precedes the vice of pride. On the contrary, it is written in Ecclesiasticus 10.15, Pride is the beginning of all sin. I answer that, the first thing in every genus is that which is essential. Now it has been stated above in Article 6 that aversion from God, which is the formal complement of sin, belongs to pride essentially, and to other sins Consequently, hence it is that pride fulfills the conditions of a first thing 
and is the beginning of all sins, as stated above in the Pars Prima Secundae, question 84, article 2. When we were treating of the causes of sin on the part of the aversion, which is the chief part of sin. Reply to Objection 1. Pride is said to be the beginning of all sin, not as though every sin originated from pride, but because any kind of sin is naturally liable to arise from pride. Reply to Objection 2. To fall off from God is said to be the beginning of pride, not as though it were a distinct sin from pride, but as being the first part of pride. For it has been said above in Article 5 that pride regards chiefly subjection to God which it scorns, and in consequence it scorns to be subject to a creature for God's sake. Reply to Objection 3. There is no need for the order of virtues to be the same as that of vices, for vice is corruptive of virtue. Now that which is first to be generated is the last to be corrupted. Wherefore, as faith is the first of virtues, so unbelief is the last of sins, to which sometimes man is led by other sins. Hence a gloss on Psalm 136 verse 7 raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof, says that, by heaping vice upon vice, a man will lapse into unbelief. And the Apostle says, in 1 Timothy 1.19, that, some rejecting a good conscience have made shipwreck concerning the faith. Reply to Objection 4. Pride is said to be the most grievous of sins, because that which gives sin its gravity is essential to pride. Hence pride is the cause of gravity in other sins. Accordingly, previous to pride, there may be certain less grievous sins that are committed through ignorance or weakness. But among the grievous sins, the first is pride, as the cause whereby other sins are rendered more grievous. And as that which is first in causing sins is the last in the withdrawal from sin, a gloss on Psalm 18, verse 13, I shall be cleansed from the greatest sin, says, namely from the sin of pride, which is the last in those who return to God and the first in those who withdraw from God. Reply to Objection 5. The philosopher associates pride with feigned fortitude, not that it consists precisely in this, but because man thinks he is more likely to be uplifted before men if he seem to be daring or brave. Eighth article, whether pride should be reckoned a capital vice. Objection 1. It would seem that pride should be reckoned a capital vice, since Isidore and Cassian number pride among the capital vices. Objection to, further, pride is apparently the same as vainglory, since both covet excellence. Now vainglory is reckoned a capital vice. Therefore, pride also should be reckoned a capital vice. Objection 3. Further, Augustine says in On Virginity 31 that Pride begets envy, 
nor is it ever without this companion. Now envy is reckoned a capital vice, as stated above in question 36, article 4. Much more, therefore, is pride a capital vice. On the contrary, Gregory, in his commentary on Job 31.45, does not include pride among the capital vices. I answer that, as stated above in Articles 2 and 5 First Reply, pride may be considered in two ways. First, in itself, as being a special sin. Secondly, as having a general influence towards all sins. Now the capital vices are said to be certain special sins from which many kinds of sin arise. Wherefore some, considering pride in the light of a special sin, numbered it together with the other capital vices. But Gregory, taking into consideration its general influence towards all vices, as explained above in Article 2, Objection 3, did not place it among the capital vices, but held it to be the queen and mother of all the vices. Hence he says in his commentary on Job 31.45, Pride, the queen of vices, when it has vanquished and captured the heart, forwith delivers it into the hands of its lieutenants, the seven principal vices, that they may despoil it and produce vices of all kinds. This suffices for the reply to the first objection. Reply to Objection 2. Pride is not the same as vainglory, but is the cause thereof. For pride covets excellence inordinately, while vainglory covets the outward show of excellence. Reply to Objection 3. The fact that envy, which is a capital vice, arises from pride, does not prove that pride is a capital vice, but that it is still more principal than the capital vices themselves. End of question 162. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.